I hear people say, they say, but you know, I'm only human. You know, that's, that's an excuse. I'm only human. But uh, we see as we look in the Bible that we're no longer only human after we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes, whenever we're just lost and in the world, we're only human. And, but whenever we come to know him, all of a sudden something changes. Now, Jesus was fully divine and fully human. We attested to that today in the Nicene Creed. Fully God and fully human. I am not fully divine. I am fully human. Uh, now, I know it surprises some of you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm fully human, but I am partially divine because I know Jesus Christ and he lives in me. Once you get saved, as I already said, you're also partly divine, but fully human. Let me give you a couple examples from my own experience. Some of you heard these before, but uh, there was a time whenever uh, a gentleman asked me to come and pray for him before he went to uh, MD Anderson to have a brain tumor removed. And he was really concerned about this because his wife had already had the same surgery and she had no sense of direction. She'd get lost literally in the grocery store. And so they were both worried if he lost his sense of direction, they could never leave the house again. So uh, they were really concerned. They asked me to come out and pray with them. And I did. And as I was about to leave, uh, this gentleman said, well, Brother Joel, I guess I'll see you in a couple of months. And I said, oh, no. And I called him by his name. And we say, Jim, uh, you're going to be standing up in church next Sunday telling how they couldn't even find a tumor there. And as the words went out of my mouth, I was asking, where is that coming from? I was wondering, like, you ever wanted to grab words and pull them back? Because why was I saying something like this to this guy? And, uh, and, but I didn't want to destroy his faith. And so I just said, Oh Lord, please forgive me for what I said. I, anyway, fast forward to the next Sunday and I look out and I ask, does anybody have any, anything they'd like to share with us this morning? And I saw, Someone stand up in the back corner where this guy usually sat. And I looked over and it was him. And Jim stood there and said, yeah, Brother Joel, I've got something to share with you. I went down there to have that tumor removed and they did an MRI and they looked and they looked and they looked again and they couldn't find it. It wasn't there. And so... uh Anyway, he back, he lived a normal, regular life after that. The Lord healed him. With me, he used me as his vessel in spite of myself. So that's one divine uh, situation. Another one, there was a time whenever I was at First Methodist Texarkana, and I was just sitting there thinking, uh, I got to where I was wondering, have I really made a difference at all 
Maybe some of y'all think that sometimes, but I was just wondering, have I really made a difference? And the church that I'd served before had a youth choir that came through and they asked if they could sing and perform at our church. Was, yeah, come on. So I sat there watching these 70 kids walk around and I realized every one of their families These kids were bitterly bopping around like they owned the world and everything was cool and they were the coolest ever and all that sort of stuff, not knowing the calamity that each one of their families had been in at one point. Mom and dad getting ready to divorce, Uh, just all sorts of financial disasters, all sorts of things. Every one of these kids the Lord had used me to make a difference in their family in such a way that these kids never even saw a wrinkle. They just saw everything be okay. And it was just amazing as I looked because nearly every one of these cases, I had no idea where to start when these parents first came in and shared what was going on. Sometimes it was just be one of them coming in, confessing they'd been unfaithful. Another time it'd be the other one coming in, saying they've discovered their spouse has been unfaithful. Another one, I drank up all my daughter's college money. Uh, just one thing after another. And uh, in every case, just as I prayerfully put one foot in front of another, the Lord helped me to help them to get through whatever they were in. So those are two situations where you could see the Lord using me in spite of my humanness. So there are times I'm divine. And there are a lot of times when I'm just flat human. There are some times when I'm not even a good human. I'm a bad human. And uh, I say bad things. There are times when I don't want to forgive people. There are times when I get angry. There are times when I I might say something mean or hurtful. And there are times that I get ready for this. I actually sin. At least twice in the past year, I can remember I sinned. So, uh, but, and, and if you'd, if Sharon were here today, She'd be say she'd be my amen corner right now, you know. And if you give her a microphone, she could tell you a lot. So I'm I'm glad she's not here to uh, be my amen corner this morning as I'm confessing that I am human. So what I want you to do is, or what I'm going to do, you see, here's the problem: we we see our humanity, and it during Lent. We are encouraged to look at our humanity, aren't we? We're encouraged to look and examine ourselves and see, do we have a growing edge anywhere? And we do. All of us do. Uh, But sometimes as we do that, we start to count ourselves out as far as being able to be used by God. And so what I want to do today and for the next three Sundays is to look at some men and women in the Bible that were greatly used by God, did miracles, raised the dead, did unbelievable things, 
And then I'm going to show you their humanity. I'm going to show you some humans who did divine things, but were still human. And I have to show you this so that you can understand that you can be human. You can make mistakes and you can even sin and still be greatly used by God because he's taken care of your sin. And it's a full and a complete work. And so let me show you the part of you that's divine. In 2 Peter 1.4, it says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Do you get that? Partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So he says, you may be partakers of the divine nature. And this is Peter speaking. And he's going to be our poster boy next week for a guy that messed up and God used him anyway. You see, I get to receive part of God's divine nature When I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and he quickens my spirit and his Holy Spirit comes as is promised and dwells in me. You see, if Christ is in you, there's something divine about you. Now, you don't have any problem believing that there's something human about you, but we have a lot of problems believing that there's something divine within us. But I'm telling you, there is, and God wants to use you. He wants to use the real you, warts and all, to make a difference in this world. But before I get into the individuals that we're going to be, we'll start talking about them next week, I have to cover something else first, and that is the fact And this is today's message, a new covenant. And you've heard this several times already in the service. Not a revamped covenant, a better covenant, as we heard in our scripture today, a new covenant. And what I need to show you this morning is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Many people are very uh, just confused about this. The old covenant is the Mosaic covenant. The new covenant is the Christ covenant. There are other covenants in the Bible as well. There's the Noahic covenant. That's a hard thing to say, it. Noahic. The Noahic covenant. He's never going to cover the earth with water again. As much as people are afraid that uh, the ice caps are going to melt and flood the world. Ain't going to happen because God promised he wasn't going to do it again. There's the Adamic covenant that his seed would, that uh, Adam's seed would crush Satan one day. There's the Abrahamic covenant, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. And then there's the Davidic uh, covenant that one of his descendants would sit on the throne. And there's a covenant with Israel that actually outlines the borders of Israel. And so there are other covenants in the Bible, but What we're looking at today are the Old and New Covenants. First, the Old Covenant. 
And uh, here's what you need to know about the old covenant. When he made the covenant with Moses and the children of Israel, there were two different types of treaties that were entered into in the world at that time. Uh, And the word treaty is another word for covenant. It's a deal. Uh, It's a contract. And the first was called the Surazan Vassal Treaty. Let's say that together. Surazan Vassal Treaty. Y'all did good on that. Most people never heard of this before, but this is history. Archaeologists have uncovered many of these treaties, and they were carved in stone. A short version was carved on stone, and then a long version was written on paper. Does that sound familiar? Now, I want you to think about this. The law. There was a short version that was carved on stone, right? And then there's a longer version on paper, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that's when you talk about the Mosaic Covenant, that's what you're talking about. Sometimes they call it the Pentateuch. So the Surazan Vassal Treaty was one type of treaty. And the second treaty, and these are the only two at the time, 1500 B.C., was called the Parity Treaty. And I want to explain to you that uh, what both of these were. So the Surazan Vassal Treaty, uh, Surazan means stronger or sovereign or supreme. And vassal means servant. So the best way to remember, remember it would be uh, uh, the supreme and a servant. And uh, one who was higher ranking and a servant. The vassal means servant. So uh, so what it, this was, it, the king of a nation would go to a lesser king. And the more powerful king would say, you know, I could come in and just destroy you and destroy your cities and kill all your men and even your young boys. But what good would that be to me if I just had desolate land? Then I'd have destroyed cities and no men to rebuild them. And I've got no men to protect them. And so I'd have to send my own men and weaken my other forces in order to... uh Uh, take care of the land that I've taken from you. And I also don't have the men to populate them because you've got to have a man and a woman to repopulate a place or to populate a place. So I'd have sent some of my men from other cities to rebuild the cities and to repopulate them and to protect them. So instead of me coming in and squashing you like a bug, why don't we do this? We'll just make a treaty. And this was called, again, this treaty uh, where you've got a sovereign and you've got a weaker uh, servant. We'll make a treaty and you will be the vassal and I'll be the surazan. And we'll make this treaty. You'll be my servants. But in turn, I'll protect you. We'll have a deal. And so that was a surazan uh, vassal treaty. The other kind of treaty is a parity treaty. Parity means equal. This was when two kings of equal power made a treaty. 
And because they're of equal power, they may say, you know, if we went to war, we really don't know who'd win. I mean, we're about the same. We're about, we're pretty equal. And so you might win. You might take advantage. I might. And so there's no reason for us to go to war. But let's go ahead and make a treaty that if someone attacks you, then it's like attacking me. It's like the old saying, you attack me, you attack my whole family. And so we're coming after you. So these two powers that were equal would make a treaty. But uh, you have to remember now, God wants to make a treaty or a covenant with the nation of Israel. But he couldn't use the parity treaty at that time because there was no human who was equal to him. And so he had to make a Surazan vassal treaty. Now, some of you may have already figured where this is going to go. You probably already got it figured out. But this is just the way it lines out. So God wants to make a covenant with Israel, but they're not equal. So what he says is, if you'll be my servants, if you'll serve me, then I'll protect you and I'll provide for you. But here's what you need to know about the old covenant. It's an if and then covenant. If you do this, then I will do this. Now, the reason uh, that I have to nail this down is because there are a whole lot of you, if you really be honest with yourselves, you have been saved and you're living under the new covenant, but you're living like you're living under the old covenant. And this is important because you're not under the old covenant. You're under a new covenant. It's not dependent on your works. It's not dependent on your righteousness. It's dependent on Christ's work and Christ's righteousness. You see, the new covenant is a parity covenant uh, because two equals made the covenant. God the Father and God the Son. Are y'all with me on this? Okay. Uh, And this is why it's so good. So you have this old covenant where God says, if and then, if you do this, then I'll do this. Matter of fact, let me just read one of them to you. Uh, God said, if to Israel and then I'll do this. In Exodus 23, 22, there's a lot in Exodus like this. If indeed you obey his voice and do all that I speak, Then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I'll protect you and I'll provide for you if you obey everything I say. Do you see the if then there? Okay. Deuteronomy 28 is called the blessings and curses chapter. Uh, The first 14 verses or blessings, and we love those, don't we? But then come 54 curses. So, in uh, verse, but for 14 verses, he says, If you'll do this, blessed you shall be when you come in, 
and blessed you shall be when you go out. You ever heard those? Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Blessed. Okay. Uh, 14 verses like this. If you do this, then all these blessings. Then verse 15, the blessings come to a screeching halt. And it really emphasizes the if and then. And that's what I want to show you. That's when he starts the curses in 2815. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, for some of you this morning, what I am saying may be tough for you to receive because you were raised under old covenant preaching. If you'll be good, then, you see, if, uh, if you'll do this, then, if and then. Now, this doesn't do away with sowing and reaping. And it doesn't do with the fact there are consequences of sin. That's not what I'm talking about. Because if you commit adultery, there are consequences. If you're truly saved, you don't lose your salvation. You just have to know that the new covenant is not based on if you do all the right things and don't do any of the wrong things. It's just not based on that. And here's the reason. Because you can't. That's one of the main things that's brought out by the law is the fact that you can never live up to it. You're never going to be able to. You don't have the ability to be perfect in this way. And so the old covenant is a Surazan vassal covenant. It's an if and then covenant. And it's the only covenant that was available to God at that time because there were no human beings that were his equal that he could make a covenant with until about 2,000 years later. So we talked about the old covenant. Now let's look at the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 600 years before Christ says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That was Moses, uh, the Mosaic covenant, the law, my covenant, we watch this, which they broke. They didn't keep it. And I told them that if they didn't do it, it's going to get bad. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. It was based on their behavior. And here's Hebrews 8 that we read this morning. Uh, talking about this new covenant. But now he, that's Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. Inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Now, 
Watch verse 7 very carefully. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So this is what he said. If there hadn't been a fault with the first covenant, then I wouldn't have needed to do a second covenant. That's what the Bible just said. If the first covenant had been faultless, if it had nothing wrong with it, then I wouldn't need to do a second one. But it did have a fault in verse 8. Because finding fault with them. You know what the fault was? It was the people. They couldn't do it. They couldn't keep the old covenant. They just couldn't do it. Finding fault with them, he says, behold. Now listen to this. This is what uh, what we just read in Jeremiah 31. Hebrews is quoting it. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Now, here's another way the Bible talks about the fault with the first covenant. Galatians says, if the law could have made you righteous, then Christ died in vain. If the first covenant could have made you uh, have a right standing before God, then Jesus died in vain. So he has to make a parity covenant. And here's what's so great about this. 500 years before Moses, God made a covenant with Abraham. And it's a true covenant, but it's also exemplary of the new covenant. He shows up and in Genesis 17, he says, when Abram was 99 years old. Now, you know, he'd already talked to Abram whenever he was 75 years old. I take great, great encouragement from this since I'm 76 now. Uh, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Still doesn't take away uh, that we should walk in holiness, see. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. I just need you to take note that this is a covenant between God and a person. And you shall be a father of many nations. Okay, so... Uh, Did your Bible say, he said, this is a covenant between me and you? Yes, it does. But do you know how he made the covenant with Abraham? He put him to sleep. Have you ever noticed that? When God's making the covenant with Abraham, he puts Abraham to sleep. Abraham has nothing to do with it even though he's making the covenant with Abraham. It's kind of like you and me, isn't it? What do we have to do with the covenant that we have with the Lord? Now, do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, he put him to sleep. That's how much Abraham needed to do 
to make the covenant. And here's what they would do. They took animals and they cut them in half. And then the two people making the covenant, and this is the same way that the parity covenant was made, uh, these two equal kings, they would walk through these animals and then one would go that way and the other would go this way. And then they would come back around and be at back to the same spot where they started. Uh, but if, uh, and what this symbolized was we're going to walk together through the blood. But if one day life takes you one way and takes me another, at some point, because we're in covenant, we're going to come back together again. It reminds me of Romans 8, where it says, who can separate us from the love of God? And by the way, God makes this covenant with Abraham through the shedding of blood. And 2,000 years later, he walks up the same hill. Most theologians believe it's the same hill. He walks up the same hill that Abram raised a knife in the air on. And God walks up the hill with his son and he raises a spear in the air and he cuts a covenant with the shedding of the blood of his own son. But he has put Abraham to sleep. Abraham thinks that he's going to walk through these pieces. But he goes to sleep and it says a smoking oven, which many people say that that's the father because it's through the father that all things are formed. And you put something in an oven and it's formed. All things are formed through the father. And a burning torch came. So you've got the oven and the burning torch. And the burning torch represents the sun and the light of the world, you see. And they passed through the pieces together. God the Father made the covenant with God the Son. But I thought it was a covenant between Abraham and God. Is that what you're thinking? Well, it was. But if God the Father made the covenant with God the Son, then how did Abram get in on it? Uh, you need to understand, when he made the covenant, he did not want it to be a Surazan vassal or a supreme servant covenant. He wanted it to be a parity covenant. And this is what Hebrews actually tells us in chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. In other words, because he could find no one as great as he was. And did you know one time uh, that words translate, this is one place this is translated equal, but he could find, he could not find an equal. He made the covenant with himself. So God, the father and God the Son. But if the covenant is between God and Abraham, how did Abraham get in on it? Romans 4, 3 tells us, for what does the scripture say? And this is quoting from Genesis. This is in Romans, quoting Genesis. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Another way to say it was uh, accounted to him for righteousness uh, was uh, he put it, he put righteousness in his account. Sin was taken out of his account and righteousness was put in his account. You've heard me talk about that before. So if God the Father needs a parity, an equal for the new covenant, and we know that equal was Jesus because he was fully human and fully divine. He died the death that we should have died, and he lived the life that we could not live. And he makes a covenant And how do we get in on it? The same way Abraham got in on it, by believing. Look at the scripture, Galatians 3, 9. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Now, what was the blessing? The blessing was righteousness, a right standing with God. Uh, you see, the new covenant is not a revamped or tinkered with old covenant. And if you're trying to live in a relationship with God under if and then, you'll see your humanity. You'll see your faults. You'll see your frailties. You'll see your weaknesses. And yes, you'll see your sins. And you'll discount yourself from being partakers of the divine nature. Now then, it is important to read the Old Testament. Because as you read the Old Testament, it's, it helps you to understand God's heart. It helps you to understand just how holy He is. It helps you to understand just how far above us and how mighty and grand he is. And it also brings conviction. And whatever you brings conviction, we can confess and we can receive forgiveness of our sins and walk forward, cleansed, and still in a right relationship with God. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has already done. You'll see all your faults, and there's a reason for that. He wants you to grow. And if you're living in a love relationship with him, and that's what this parity relationship is, two persons loving each other, that's what it is. And as you see where you've been displeasing to him, you'll want to do better, not to gain anything, but to please the one you love. So uh, anyway... Uh, you'll discount yourself for being able to put your hands on someone and, and pray for them and believe that God would heal them and answer to your prayer. Now, I'm telling you that these great heroes in the Bible, these men and women uh, that we look up to, were just as human as you are and we are. But because they believed, they were divinely human. And you, brothers and sisters, because you have believed in Christ, you are divinely human and God can do miracles through you. It's amazing what he can do through you. And so remember, you are under a new covenant, not an if then covenant. 
You're under a covenant where God has reached out to you through his son. And if you believe and if you receive, then you walk in his righteousness. So don't be letting your faults keep you from being productive in the kingdom. He wants to use you. And don't let age be something that keeps you away from it either. Remember, Abraham was 99 years old and God shows up and does a new thing with him. So you've got a chance to get things right. Even if you've been living under the old covenant up to now, you still have time. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would take all the legalistic thinking out of their hearts and minds and that you would replace it with grace and truth that the law came through Moses, the old covenant, but grace and truth, the new covenant came through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you will put in their hearts that we are partakers of the divine nature now and we can cooperate with you and you can work through us miracles on this earth today. In Jesus' name, amen.